music. This time I'll have the ushers come forward and distribute this evening's handout. What do you know? For a change, I actually have a handout. So proud of myself here. And kept it to one page, believe it or not. So saving the trees at the same time. So you can say you have a, a green assistant pastor, as the saying is these days. Right. Everything you hear about green everything nowadays. Well, there you go. You are learning about God and saving the environment at the same time. As many of you probably know, Pastor Reed is uh, ill today and so is unable to be with us tonight. Um, He was planning on being here, but um, got sick at the last minute. And so uh, keep him in your prayers. And uh, I will be speaking tonight in his place. Tonight we're going to be looking at um, two verses, actually. It's not going to be your typical exegetical. Well, it's exegetical. Everything should be exegetical. I mean, I was going to say it's not going to be an exegetical sermon. Understand, everything should be exegetical, meaning that I should be drawing things out of the text and seeing what it says, not putting my own ideas into it. I don't mean that. It's not going. What I meant was um, that we're not going to take a passage and go through it verse by verse, rather than look at just two two verses in particular, or three verses, I guess, is the first one that's listed there on your handout. It consists of two verses. I'll explain what I mean. Um, I'm baffled. At times when I when I turn on the TV and I see somebody, a sports commentator or maybe just a news commentator, talking about somebody in an exaggerated way or giving it an accurate picture of that person's character. Take, for example, when a celebrity dies. OK, um, during that person's life and you can fill in anybody's name that you wish, um, that person, that celebrity may have been known for being a drug addict, or perhaps they were somebody who had multiple different relationships with many different men or women, or maybe were divorced uh, half a dozen times, or uh, perhaps they were somebody who, who was known to have a lot of foul language whenever they were in public or in the work that they did, whether it was movies or TV or music or whatever. And suddenly, when this person dies, uh, all of a sudden, everybody in the news is praising them as if they were some excellent moral person or somebody that we all, all should model our lives after. And, and after their passing, it seems like the story becomes totally different. And when I hear commentators on TV kind of go off in this way about this person who's passed on and who otherwise we wouldn't even think to be a model of character or of spirituality or anything, I'm just baffled. Uh, it can strike us very odd when somebody comments positively about somebody we know to be of questionable character. And I'm not just saying one or two times. I, I mean, over the long haul, somebody we know that's questionable of character or not a believer. Very recently, I was struck with a very similar feeling when I was reading the scriptures. I was reading the book of Hebrews, and, and I came to a section that seemed to commend the children of Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness. And it commended them as people of great faith. Specifically, I read uh, verses 29 and 30 of Hebrews 11. And you have that verse listed on your handout this morning, or this evening. Sorry, you can tell I was at Snow Globe thinking it's the morning. Um, it says this, By faith the Israelites passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. And by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I'm reading this, perhaps, a different translation than what might be on yours. I don't know if the words match. But in those verses, in those two verses, I knew in my head that the Israelites 
did have faith on one hand, okay, in that they crossed the Red Sea, they encircled the walls of Jericho, and they fell over. And yes, those were two times where they showed great faith. But what kind of disturbed me was these two verses are found in the portion, portion of Scripture that we often refer to as the heroes of faith. Hebrews 11, okay? And to me, that just seemed really out of place, especially when we consider the whole story of what the Israelites were like when they were wandering through the wilderness. And when I looked at those two verses, I thought, boy, maybe they had some faith there. But when we think of them outside of just those two events, we don't often think of the children of Israel as people of great faith, do we? Um, Certainly their lives are anything but. And and, uh, that certainly bothered me, as it would bother me when I hear on the news, uh, you know, a, a... positive comment about something we, someone we know to be of negative character. I thought of another verse when I was just mulling this over in my head, and it's Numbers 14.22. You see that listed there for you. That verse says, Surely all these men have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet they have put me to the test these ten times and not listened to my voice. Okay, so these verses in Hebrews seemed even more strange to me when I considered this numbers passage. Okay, who were the children of Israel? They were people who complained. They were people who grumbled. They were people who turned their back on God. And on more than one occasion, there were people who God was just ready to just wipe out of existence in a heartbeat. So these aren't people like the Apostle Paul uh, model Christians, you know, for us to follow our lives after. If anything, we see at least ten times. It says in this numbers passage, they turned their backs on God. They tested God. They were not people usually of great faith. Instead, they feared what lied ahead. They disbelieved. They rebelled. They lost hope. They didn't listen. So how can these Israelites be praised at all? Well, I think the short answer uh, is that unfortunately our lives aren't always consistently filled with faith. Sometimes we are faithful and we receive God's praise and commendation. And other times, we fall short. And I'd like us to look at this dual and contradictory nature of the Israelites this evening. How they could be both faithful and disobedient at the same time. And just look at how that informs us about our own hearts and how we can be as well. I thought this was an interesting parallel of verses. To put this Hebrews passage and this Numbers verse together and see what does that tell us about the Israelites and the way that God viewed them and the way that God perhaps views ourselves. Okay, so let's start with the negative side. And I have this in in a bare bones fashion outlined for you tonight. Um, I'm going to ask you to take it a step further, though. I have a handout doesn't mean you can ignore your Bibles for this evening. So I'm going to ask you to take open your Bibles because we're going to be reading a lot of passages of Scripture this evening. In fact, This is going to be a very different kind of sermon for me. It's going to be more of a glancing over of a lot of different passages of Scripture as we just read through each of these sections that I have listed for you. And there's a purpose behind that. I want us to read these different passages so that it strikes us just how disobedient, on one hand, these these Israelites could be, and yet how faithful at other times they could be. So tonight we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture, and don't worry, I have the, the passages listed there for you. At, at each point. Okay. So what were these ten times that they were uh, disobedient, they tested God? I'd like us to explore them. And 
By the way, God doesn't mention them, what, what they are. He just says, these people have tested me these ten times. And so we're kind of left to figure that out. So I tried to go back and look and find what these ten times were. And so I have listed for you my best estimate as to what those might be. And I think this is a pretty good guess. If you find another one that you think might be in the list, let me know. But I think uh, pretty much this, this encapsulates them. Okay? So let's go through their story. They, they are first uh, in slavery. They are under the hand of Pharaoh. You remember we talked about Joseph just last week and and for a time Joseph was in power and the Israelites were favored and they had a reserved place among the Egyptians. But then over time, somebody forgot about who Joseph was or maybe they knew who Joseph was, but just didn't care anymore. And instead saw these people who are living in their land as an opportunity for free labor. So the Israelites became slaves and God eventually heard their cries and delivered them out. And as they were being led out of the, the wilderness, or out into the wilderness, out of the land of Egypt, after God had shown his power in the great plagues, uh, Moses led them out. And, and we see early on, before they even have a chance to get past their first barrier, they start to grumble. We see a real test of their character. So we see uh, the first one when they tested God was when they were frightened of the Egyptian army before the Red Sea. Exodus 14 Verses 10 through 12. Turn there. And it says, As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not the world... Is not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Okay, so it says, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Did they not remember what it was like, how they cried out to God and not even that far away? It's not that like a generation had passed. And, and they had forgotten what their fathers or grandfathers had told them. They were in slavery not too many weeks ago. And all of a sudden they're saying, well, it was much better in Egypt. And not only do they test God, they use a little bit of, of sarcasm there. Did you see that? Uh, is it because there are no graves in Egypt? Boy, I don't know about you, but okay, it's one thing if somebody challenges you to your face. And another thing if they just throw a little bit of sarcasm in there to dig in. So... I mean, that always annoys me a little bit more if somebody tries to use that. I can imagine if, you know, how God must feel about these things. Not only are they saying, help us, Lord, we're in trouble. They're going beyond that and saying, is it because you didn't have any graves for us in Egypt that you're leading us out here just to die? Using a little bit of a sass mouth, you could say. It's, it's unbelievable. But uh, that was the first time they were testing God. Okay, And now we see number two, when there was... No water or the water was bitter. Okay, now we move a little bit further. They get past the Red Sea. God is merciful to them, even though they've just questioned his goodness. Said it would be much better to be back in Egypt. God could have said, okay, fine, go back there. If it was so wonderful, God doesn't do that. He's, he's merciful and they continue on. Chapter 15, verses 23 to 24. It says this, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for the waters were bitter. Therefore, it was nicknamed Marah. 
So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. And there he made for them a statute and regulation. There he tested them. So there they doubted that God would provide water. They didn't have faith at all. And it says that it was a test to them. And if it was, in fact, a test, guess what? They, they failed it. They failed it horribly. God was seeing how they would react when they came to a point of need. If they had trusted him, no such thing. But yet God is still merciful. He had Moses throw a stick into the water and became sweet. Next one. Number three, we go to Exodus 16, verses 1 through 3. Turn there. You're skipping a few pages ahead now. Okay, this is when they had no food. So they complain and they said uh, they set out for Elam. And all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, and then after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the pots of meat when we ate bread to the full? For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I love how they say that. When we were just sitting around eating grapes and relaxing on our plush chairs, when we had meat off the bone and where the Pharaoh came and served us and and waited on us. (laughs) That's the sense I'm getting from this passage. It's it's just quite uh, crazy the way they're describing it. And it says that this is only the 15th day of the second month after their departure from Egypt. Again, not years after they've forgotten what it's like. Only two months later, and, and they're at this again. And two times already they have tested God, and God has made his displeasure known, and they still, yet again, test him. Okay? Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Again, they idolize the time that they had in Egypt, and again, even though they are being ungrateful to God, God is being merciful to them. Number four, okay, this involves the manner that God provides. So he says, okay, I will provide for you even though you're grumbling against me. I'll test you in this. And they fail twice. We'll see that's four and five. Okay, Exodus 16, 19 through 20. Excuse me. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses and some left part of it until morning and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Okay? So God says, don't worry. I'll provide this food for you. You'll be provided for. Just only gather enough for today. Don't leave any more of it for tomorrow, except the day before the Sabbath. Then I'll let you gather enough because you're not supposed to gather it on the Sabbath. But they don't listen. They disobey the first command, not to leave any till morning. And we see number five, they disobey the command of the Sabbath. Exodus 16, verses 25 through 29, just a few verses later. Okay, Moses says, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find any in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there shall be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Big surprise, right? Wow. Okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Not let no man go out of his place the seventh day. So they refuse to listen. We have another instance of no water moving on. 
to number six. We go next chapter, Exodus 17, verses one through six. Okay, they don't learn from their first mistake. It's like God is even giving them a leg up on some of these tests. He's like, all right, I won't challenge you in something new. We already had this once before. You didn't have water. We saw how that turned out. Okay, I'll I'll try this again. I'm not going to have any water for you. What are you going to do about it? And they fail again. Exodus 17, 1 through 6. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped by Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us? and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? A little more, and they will stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. We know that it will eventually say that Moses will strike the rock and kind of yell at them, and he gets judged for that. And certainly Moses was guilty there of not um, taking the Lord's name as holy and and not only saying what God had spoken to the people. Um, But we can certainly understand the frustration that's going on here, um, why Moses would be frustrated. But you, you see, going that far to get angry with them and striking the rock in anger goes beyond God's character here because we see over and over again in this list I'm giving you that God isn't giving them what they deserve. He's being merciful. And by going beyond that, Moses is not representing God and the point he's trying to make in his mercy and all that he's doing here. There's a few things we see that the, the children of Israel do here. They're grumbling, they're complaining. And then it says, I think it uh, in, in verse 2, why do you test the Lord? You see how that's being flipped around? So that originally it's God who's testing them, but they want it the other way. So they're testing the Lord to see what they can get out of God as if they are the masters over God and, and can ask him to do their bidding. That's, that's amazing to me that they're, they're doing that. And, uh, and they thirdly want to stone Moses. So there's uh, several things that they're getting quite wrong here, to say the least. Number seven, we all remember this one. Golden calf, golden calf. Exodus 32, one of the most famous sins of the children of Israel. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, in that passage, the people tell Aaron to make a new God to go before them since Moses has been up for quite a while on Mount Sinai. So he makes a golden calf out of all the people's earrings and all the things that they have. They contribute to this. and, And he says, behold, Israel, this is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So God then wants to destroy the Israelites, but Moses intervenes. And here, certainly, the Israelites definitely did not have faith. In fact, they go beyond the things they have done before. Now they enter into idolatry, something which God ultimately destroys both kingdoms, north and south, in the exile later on uh, because of that one sin. So now we're stepping it up a great deal, and uh, the people really rebel against God to the point that God almost destroys them. Point eight, okay, they, they complain in general. We move to the book of Numbers, so flip there. Got to get out of Exodus past Leviticus because that's just a, a lot of laws concerning sacrifices and whatever. Um, 
Numbers now resumes a lot of the narrative. And we see in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, the eighth way they test the Lord. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died out. Okay, you might be tempted to say, all right, at this point, God's beginning to have it with these people and just wanting to to destroy them. But please note that he does not ever fully destroy them. And I don't think God ever fully changes his mind. It says he's not like man that he should change his mind. All of this is a test. And, and I don't believe God ever intended to fully destroy the Israelites in the example we named before, just like God never intended that uh, Isaac should be killed by the hand of Abraham when he was tested. But it's beginning to show that God is truly serious about the words that he's telling them and that sin is serious. And so he sends this fire out of heaven. But even in that, we see mercy because Moses prays and they're spared. He always leaves a remnant of his people. He never fully destroys them. It, I think, is an extension of the promise he made with the flood that he would never again destroy the earth. He says there in that passage in Exodus, I mean, in Genesis uh, by way of flood. But I think in, in application, we see that he's never fully going to destroy his people like this either. He always leaves a remnant and the word remnant appears over and over and over again in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets. When they speak of judgment, they say a lot of you will be destroyed because of the sins you commit. But God will reserve a remnant at the end of time who he will uphold and he'll establish as his own people. And we see that here. Number nine, no meat. Okay, again, another repeat testing. Ninth is found in Numbers 11, immediately after the last, verses 4 through 34. I'm not going to read that for you, but in that passage, the people complain about not having any meat and they have manna, but they want more than that. So Moses, by this point, is so weary that he says to God, please kill me at once because he's just had it. We can see that man's patience is nothing like God's patience because now on two occasions, Moses has given out almost and, and God is still hanging on. God is still being merciful. God sends them quail, but he still kills some because of their complaining. And here's the tenth. And, and I think this is um, intentional on God's part that this is the tenth one. This is the ultimate um, act of disobedience. That's their refusal to enter the land of Canaan. Okay? It's found in Numbers 14, verse 3. When they refused to, to enter the land of Canaan, which God had given to them, God commands them to take it. Ten spies come back in despair, saying that the people are too strong. There are giants living in the land. We can't overcome them. And then the people want to stone Caleb and Joshua, the only two people who bring back a positive report. Now, this may seem like overkill that I went over all this, but I, I went over it to show you that the Israelites, for most of their wanderings in the wilderness, were anything but full of faith. Okay, so why are they commended? as heroes of the faith, especially when we were just looking at these. And it's not even but a few verses later that we come to the next point. Uh, I mean, I was talking to you about points two and three and four and five. And it just, you know, you don't even have to go far in the book of Exodus to get to the next one and then the next one, and the next one. And yet, how can they be listed in Hebrews 11? OK, um, well, I think this says a little bit about who God considers as heroes. And I believe Pastor probably made the same point as he had a class. Him and Pastor Heller uh, both had a class they team taught not too long ago on Hebrews 11 in general. Uh, that Hebrews 11 isn't about the most spiritually perfect people. 
in, in the whole scriptures. We see that some of the other people that were mentioned are flawed as well. Noah gets drunk. Uh, Abraham lies, with, uh, lies about his wife being his sister. Uh, he initially laughs at the thought of having a son at age 100. Jacob's a deceiver. Moses killed a person. Um, the Israelites are no better. And so becoming a person of faith, a hero of the faith, you might say, is something that we are all capable of. You might say, well, I'm no Moses or I'm no Abraham, but that's okay because neither were the children of Israel. None of us are perfect, not even those guys. And, and so God gives us the grace at many times in our lives so that we can recognize when he is truly faithful and recognize that, you know, despite our imperfections, it's possible for God to raise us up to a place of faith and for him to count us as righteousness as righteous, even though we don't deserve it. God uses people despite their wickedness and their rebellion to become people that are used of him. So back to our example, despite all that Israel had done to be unfaithful to God, God does recognize two times when they actually did have faith. And these are legitimate, the crossing of the Red Sea and the circling of Jericho. So now we deal with the positive aspect. How did they show these, their faith? What did they do in these two cases that make them worthy of God's praise? Well, let's look into these passages and we'll find out. We'll take them one at a time. Okay? Flip back to Exodus 14, verses 5 through 31. And, uh, and we'll read a lot of this. I'll skip over some of it. This is the parting of the Red Sea. It says in verse 5, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. He said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. He took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt and officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel the sons of Israel were going out boldly. And they chased after them with all their horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them, camping by the sea, besides Pihiroth, in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became frightened. So the sons of Israel called out to the Lord. Okay, and then the Lord answered them. Skip to verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through in the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, before, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, through the chariots and the horsemen. Verse 21, skip to that. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept back the sea by strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea um, excuse me, on, their, on dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and horsemen went in after them in the midst of the sea. And then we, as we read on, we see that they all perish, just as the Lord had said. So verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord, they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Okay. So the question is, as we read that, how did they show faith? Well, first we see, before they even show it, Moses showed faith on their behalf. See, at first, they didn't have much faith. As I was reading that for you, 
uh, we saw that as soon as they looked at the Egyptians and saw them coming in the distance, they became terrified, it said, and they doubted. They began to lose all hope. They cried out to God to such a degree with such an attitude that God said, why are you crying out to me? Almost with the understanding that you're crying out in desperation. You don't believe that I'm going to do anything. Okay, so it wasn't that they initially had that faith. But Moses had that fear for them and and that uh, fear of God and that faith. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. So he says that quite confidently. And we see that Moses starts by having faith before them. And then once the children of Israel listened to him, then they became emboldened to have faith too. And here's where the main act of faith is found. The people of Israel had faith for following God's command when Moses told them to walk across the sea. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And the Israelites marched forward in faith. Verse 21, Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. The water was divided. Verse 22, they marched through with the walls of water on the left and the right. Okay. Why did the seas not part for the Egyptians? Well, in one sense, you could say it was because of God's power. God chose not to do so. But in another sense, you could say it's because they did not have that faith that the Israelites had. And it wasn't that the Israelites' faith, understand, was holding the water up. It was God's hand. They did not have the power. Just like some people would say, if you just believe hard enough today, you can make some of your dreams come true. You can make what you're, you're hoping for happen just by positive thinking. Okay, It wasn't that they thought about it enough and made the water split, but God was doing this for his people who believed in his name. Hebrews 11:29. it says this, By faith the Israelites passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. The Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Okay, So it was by faith in that particular instance. They trusted Moses. They trusted God. You've got to imagine... There's a wall of water on your left and right that's a little scary, even though it's an amazing thing to see happen. In an instance, if something would just happen, that that water would come down at you, you know you're done. And crossing the Red Sea wasn't just like crossing the Swati, okay? It wasn't just a short few steps and you're safe. Okay, you have to walk a great distance to get to the other side, even at its narrowest point. Okay, so, so this is a major act of faith that they are, you know, embarking on. And... Uh, there was no turning back. If the waters were to come upon them, they would have gotten to a certain point where it just wouldn't have been, uh, it would have been too far away for them to run backwards and be saved. Um, they had faith in what God said and they walked. They stepped forward. Second act of faith, conquering of Jericho. That's in Hebrews 11.30. Okay, that's found in Joshua 6, verses 1 through 20. And because of time, I'm not going to read that all for you. Um, but you can read that later on. I trust you were taught that in Sunday school. It might be a familiar story to you how they were told to walk around a total of 13 times, six times, uh, six times, one for each day. And then the seventh day, walk around seven times. And at the end, they were to shout and blow their trumpets. And and the walls of Jericho, this key city, this key part of, of them conquering and, and taking over the promised land, uh, these walls were just supposed to fall over Okay, by conventional wisdom. Everybody knows that that doesn't work. You don't just blow trumpets and walls fall over. I can't go outside and and you know go to the music Marty's music store and buy myself a flugelhorn and knock over the walls of this church. Okay, it's not going to happen. Even if I have a large crowd with me. All right. So um, 
that that just gets that out of the way. And it's important because some people try and look back in history and say, oh, the reason that those walls fell over is because uh, the Israelites didn't realize it. But that was actually a property of sound. If you all shout at the same frequency, the sound waves would hit the wall at a certain angle and and the vibrations would cause cause this rock to crumble and fall. It's hogwash. Not possible. Okay. Even if you had a large group of people shouting and blowing trumpets, it's not like the the opera singer that can sing at a high pitch and shatter the small glass, you know, cup in front of her. Okay, this this wasn't the same thing and it wouldn't work. It was God's power. And they were acting in faith by marching around, seeming for no reason at all. I mean, by the common eye, it wouldn't look like it had much purpose. A person could easily look down and say, what what are they doing? Why would you walk around in a circle? How is this going to get us um, any closer to victory? Some people might have even complained or been tempted to complain. You know, why don't we take this time to fashion ourselves some weapons or go out and, and, you know, get some swords or something? Anything would be better time spent than us doing this. But they didn't say that. They believed what God said, even when it seemed ridiculous to do so. March in a circle, walk around these walls and then shout. And people said, OK, OK. And so they are commended for their faith in Hebrews 11, verse 30. Okay, so the key part of all this is how can we apply it? Well, for the faithful part. Okay, so for the second half of this lesson, we talked about two parts, their unfaithfulness and their faithfulness. Um, For their faithfulness, we see in Moses' example and in Joshua's example that you can lead others simply by showing faith yourself. Okay, remember I said that the children of Israel didn't have faith to start. They initially were crying out to God in a way that displeased God. We, t- we can tell that by his response. They were thinking pretty much that they were doomed. But Moses listened to God and Moses commanded them to be silent, to be still and to obey the words of the Lord and march forward. And because Moses showed forth faith first, then they in turn showed that faith as well. I think that says something to the, the power that you can have as a leader if you choose to take leadership in anything in your family in a particular ministry here at church, at work, wherever, you can lead others and perhaps even influence if somebody's going to have faith or not by the faith that you show. Okay, so don't think that because somebody's hardened or somebody doesn't believe or anything like that, that that's it. There's nothing you can do. You can actually change people's hearts in the sense that you can lead others to consider having faith in a certain area if you have that faith first. We see that was the case with Moses. That was the case with Joshua. And it's possible for you as well. Another larger lesson, I think, that we can take as we look at this whole picture, as we consider these 10 times that they did not have faith and these two times that they did, is that we can see that it's possible for us as a people to have faith or not. Uh, We think of faith usually as something of an of an individual thing uh, that, you know, either God considers us individually faithful or not. But God also considers groups of people faithful or not. Okay, that's not to say that if if we as a church are viewed as faithful in God's eyes, that therefore that means everybody's saved. But I think it's important for us to consider, are we being faithful as a church, as a body? Okay, there are certain things that we can do individually in sharing our faith and being disciplined in reading the word and, and, and all this kind of stuff. But there are also things that we need to be faithful uh, in as a body of believers and as a body capable of doing much greater things together. Are we fulfilling the purpose that God has set for us in this community? Are we being faithful as a people 
Just as we sit back here and, and look at the children of Israel and say, were they being faithful as a people? God not only considers our faith individually, but he considers it as a, pe- uh, as a people. Okay? And that applies down even to smaller groups. Are we as a youth group being faithful in, in the purpose that we set out to do and in the lives that our teens leave and lead and, and the lives that we as leaders lead? Are you as a family being faithful in the way that you're leading your children and, and the kinds of things that you do within your own family. Um, one of the most striking applications, however, that I think we can get from this, this combination of verses is just how contradictory our lives can be. Um, on one hand, we can have periods of great faith. We see that in, in the life of or the lives of the children of Israel. And then at other times, we can be incredibly unfaithful. So the Israelites had some pretty amazing stories of faith, of confidence, of trust in God. And perhaps there are more than just these two examples that we listed here. But um, on the other hand, we have these ten times that they tested the Lord. And so we see that in looking at our lives, we can't just say black and white. We're either awesome and faithful and, and wonderful and great model Christians or completely awful and not worthy of being followed. Um, and just utterly evil, okay? We find that we're often a mix of the two. And so we want to be careful in our own estimation not to veer off from one side or the other to view it in absolutes and also not to look down on people in that same way as well. Um, to say, oh, this person is, is, you know, I guess looking up to somebody um, in that way would be wrong as well. You, you don't want to look up to somebody and say, oh, they are always faithful. They always do this. Don't put them up on a pedestal thinking that, that they are never um, wrong with God or, or never stumble because we all stumble in many ways. And yet we don't want to look down on one person because of one thing that's happened to them or something that they, they do and, and just totally write them off and say, oh, no, they're evil. They're not somebody we should follow. We see in the life of, of or the lives of the children of Israel that on one hand, God had some harsh words to say against them. But you know, on the other hand, he had some very positive words to say about them. Okay? And so we see the challenge is living a life consistently of consistent faith. And here, unfortunately, even though they had these two times where they were particularly faithful to God, we see these ten other times where they really tried God's patience. And so our challenge for our own personal lives is to be more consistent than that, that, to not test God that many times, to not have the scale so tipped that we are more times unfaithful to God than we have periods of faith. And that's the real challenge for us. So we recognize that we can have these contradictions. Those contradictions exist within our own lives. And one day we may be really faithful and other days we just may be very apathetic. But we want to try and work our hardest to get that consistently on the faithful path. Another application, one of the last applications I want to give to you is that sometimes it's easier for us to do one act of heroism than to live an entire life of consistent faith. Okay? So I look at these two verses, the Numbers passage and the Hebrews 11 passage. I'm trying to put them together. And I see, on one hand, while these things were great acts of faith, you know, they were just very brief moments in time. So that the Israelites were placed with like a sudden decision, okay? There was an army coming at them, and they had nowhere else to go, okay? So on one hand, they trusted in God because they crossed the the, the Red Sea. On the other hand, they didn't really have anywhere else to go. It was either be slaughtered by the Egyptians, or or sit there, or, or listen to what God had to say. And so in faith, they stepped out and crossed over to the sea. But we find that doing that can never substitute for a full life of faith. 
Somebody has once said that it might, it might be easier for us to take a bullet for somebody than to live an entire life of faithfulness and love towards that person. That can be true. In a moment, if we see somebody with a gun come in and, and threaten to kill another person, we might, in a moment of not thinking or maybe just thinking heroically, jump in front of that bullet. Okay? And we might be willing to do that, but isn't it so much harder to, to be kind to that individual, to be loving, to be selfless throughout an entire life than just jumping in front of that bullet just that one time? And I think we learn that from these examples. That, yes, they were faithful, and we can't deny that because God says so. But yet, we shouldn't just look at one great thing that we've done in our life, one great act of faith, and say, that's enough. Okay? We've been faithful. God will put me down in the books as being a great hero of the faith. Nothing more to live for. I'm set for life. No. God requires us to walk with Him daily. And and not just to die for Him, but to live for Him as well. And Jesus Christ, by the way, died for us, yes, but he also lived a life for us as well. It wasn't just one um, moment where he wasn't thinking and he died on the cross because it was an impulsive act. It was thought out. It was intentional. It was consistent with the life he lived for us. So in his case, that's not true. It's not that you could go away saying, oh, Pastor Dave's saying that it was easier for Jesus just to die for us because that was an impulsive thing. No, it wasn't. He was completely lived in consistency with with what he had been doing up until that point in his life. And it was done thoughtfully and it was done for a purpose. And so we need to live our lives faithfully throughout as well. That's my message to you tonight. Live a consistent life of faith. And don't be content just with the few acts of faith that we can, we can show in, on our list of things that we have done. But may we seek to praise God and bring him glory in everything that we do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Of, of Scripture that we can consider them all over. I pray that we would not come away with the judgmental spirit of, of your people who lived in times past, but look in them as if we were looking into a mirror, seeing our own hearts, our own tendency to wander from you, our own tendency to become dissatisfied with the things that you've provided for us, our own tendency to forget the faithful things you have done for us in the past. God, may we not fall into that trap. May our lives be lived consistently for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.